Well, I am uh, thrilled and thankful that uh, the search team and elders worked it out that I could be the interim pastor in November till your full-time senior pastor comes in January. <clears throat> Um, and I have to share with you, uh, so many of you who have um, expressed your gratefulness and, and then also have expressed your prayers on behalf of our family through this time. And specifically this last week, as many of you have prayed for my, my oldest daughter, Kelsey, who was in that accident. And uh, she's recovering. Mom's recovering. And uh, we're in that kind of place of recovery. So do you have a better week? We all did, but, you know, after something like that emotional, you just kind of crash and you kind of, your body kind of takes the hit for a little bit. But uh, we're doing so well, and we're so grateful. And uh, I, I, I mentioned last week that I shared that because I believe many people were praying for intervention, for God to break through. And I had the opportunity to meet with the staff last Monday and to pray for many of you as well as you're asking God to work in your life. Um, let's just bow our heads together and just quiet our hearts. God... It's my desire, and I believe the desire of people here, to hear from you. So the Holy Spirit, we pray, speak. And uh, touch our hearts where we need to be um, communicating more closely with you, where we need maybe um, your arms wrapped around us, or maybe we need a finger in the chest that says we need to, to, to pay attention to something. God, whatever it is, use this, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So let me just ask you a question, and I want you to ponder this and to think through this for a moment, and that is this. What do you think the Lord's heart cry is for you right now? Okay? Don't be thinking of the person sitting next to you. I want you to zero in. I want you, in a sense, to look up with your eyes of your heart to see your Heavenly Father and in the sense, say, God, what is your heart cry for me right now, today, at this moment? What do you think the Lord wants from you? Just take a moment. Maybe you want to write that down and just consider that. Or maybe you just want to make a mental note. Sometimes when we think about what the Lord maybe wants for us or what his cry of the heart might be, we might hear things that we don't think we want to hear. Um, and they may not be the voice of God. It could be the voice of, of a parent. You know, you fool. When are you going to grow up? Or teacher, I can't wait for you to get this. Or maybe you hear the voice, soft voice of a father says, I want to give you wisdom. Or maybe you hear the voice of the pastor that you grew up with, maybe, and said, you need to read the Bible more. You need to pray more. You need to do more. Would you serve? I don't know what you hear is crying out from God's heart. It may be that you have heard a voice that says, relax. Just breathe deeply and rest. Psalm 81 is a very interesting psalm, and if you have a Bible, you want to take it, you can use it. If you don't, and you're visiting, and this whole church thing is kind of like I'm just stepping into the water, we've got Scripture on the board up here and these overheads for you, so you can follow along that way as well. But Psalm 81 is interesting because when I was going through these psalms of Asaph and I was working through this, I was kind of trying to force the Scripture to give 
Asaph's heart cry. And as I kept reading it and pondering it, it didn't happen until a little bit later as I was praying through this and working through this. I realized this wasn't anything about Asaph's heart cry. This is God's heart cry for us. And as you read through this, you'll, you'll find that there's this interesting heart cry of God. It's this general sense, and it may come out more specifically to you in some way, but his heart cry is basically, I so want to bless you. I want to bless you. I want to bless your family. I want to bless your children. I want to bless this church. I want to bless this community and the neighborhoods you live in. I want to bless the schools that your kids go to. I want to bless your business. I want to bless you. And so I'd ask you, in a sense, that, to ask this question and to deeply consider, if the Lord came to you today and said, I want to bless you, I'm not sure specifically how it will play itself out, but the question is, will you listen? Will you listen? Psalm 81 is a very interesting psalm. It's a two-part um, psalm that basically says, I want to bless you, would you listen? And then I want you to ask this question. In fact, this is, if I ask you to write anything down, I'd ask you to write, and what would this listening look like in your life? What would listening look like specifically to you so that you could hear specifically what God is saying to you? It's a two-part psalm. 81 verses 1 through 5 is basically a call to worship. And then there is what I would call a warning to listen. What would that look like? What would that be like to you? Both parts revolve around the simple desire of God to bless you. And so I kind of looked at Psalm 81 verses 1 through 5 as, as a simple statement. Another way to phrase it so that maybe you can get a handle on it is bless God is what the psalmist is saying because he has blessed you. Bless God because he has blessed you. He starts out in the first three verses, really verse 1 through verse 3a, the first part of that verse 3, with five simple imperatives. Now, if you have the NIV, and I usually use the NIV, you're going to see I'm going to stray a little bit from it because there's a few places that I think they add a couple things. It has really six imperatives, but in the Hebrew there's five with an implied six. Okay, big deal. Anyway, sing for joy. Well, I, I just like to get right to the practical stuff. Anyway, sing is what he says. Shout aloud to the God of Jacob. Play the music or begin the music is what it says in the NIV, I think. Strike the tambourine. And then he kind of there's this little kind of dot, 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 the melodious harp and lure. Sound the ram's horn or the shofar for the new moon. I want to share with you that these are imperatives because it's not an optional thing in the, in the person who is writing this psalm. He's looking at this and going, this is something that we are called to do. We are called to sing. We're called to shout aloud. Now, in the second service, people shout a little bit more, and, and this tends to be a little more reverent and traditional. It's okay. But you know what's really interesting is if you were at a football game, you would probably respond to one of Adrian Peterson's all-day movement down the field with a what? Oh, that's nice. Good job. You know what? It's about expressing our hearts. And I know we all do it differently because we all learn from our own cultures and traditions and everything. I went to Africa, and they, they go when they get excited. Now, we could do that. But, you know, the basic point is, let God know you're excited about him because of what he's done. That blesses his heart. 
The psalmist continues and he says, there are sometimes special occasions. This is not only a must in one sense every day that we're to give thanks and, and weekly, how wonderful we have within our country the ability to come and freely give thanks. But there's also festivals and holidays that we're to do this. And this psalm is specifically written around the festivals that they had. So he says in verses 3 through 5, Sound the ram's horn at the new moon. And when the moon is full on the day of our feast. See, he's writing this at a time when he's thinking about the feast and the festival and the holiday coming up. He's writing a holiday song, so to speak. And then he says, there's a decree for Israel, an ordinance of the God of Jacob. He's established it as a statute for Joseph. And he calls Joseph because those are the people who were led out of Egypt. And when we went out against Egypt. Now, in, in my NIV, I want to kind of stop it right there. See, in that day, he says, here's when I want you to pay attention. There's a time that I want you to do this. They didn't have watches or cell phones to keep track of time. You know, I, I took my watch off because I, I look at all these uh, 20-year-olds and so on. They always, all they do is carry a, a cell phone and they look at it. So I'm trying to do that now a little bit more. <laughs> I tell you, it's a pain. Anyway, um, but they kept moon, time by, by the moon and... In this, by the seasons, and, and they kept pace with the natural rhythms of life. There wasn't sleep deprivation, I don't think, going on then. It's really hard to do the crops in the middle of the dark, right? And they, in some sense, had a much healthier society in that way. One of them, th those festivals or holidays or national celebrations that they observed was Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles. And I think this is the one that he's referring to here. They remembered God's saving work when they went out against Egypt, it says in Scripture. God actually decreed there would be three national holidays for the people. In Exodus chapter 23, 14 through 17, and in, in, light, you know, in lieu of turning to it, we'll put it on the screen so you can see it. He says in verse 14 of Exodus chapter 23, three times a year, says God to Moses, you are to celebrate a festival to me. Celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days and bread made without yeast as I commanded you. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Abu, for in that month you came out of Egypt. And then he makes this little kind of interesting thing. No one is to appear before me empty-handed. Now you're right away thinking cash gifts, right? No, I, I don't think he means that necessarily. He could, but he means with a full heart. But he also means showing and expressing your thanks to God, which could be materially. That's one of the ways that we show in our hearts that, that what we have, we thank God for. Celebrate the feast of harvest with the first fruits of the crops you sow in your field. Celebrate the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in your crops from the field. You see the three of them? Three times a year, and they saw all the men. In that day, a patriarchal society, it was too difficult when they would have to travel by foot from distances around the country. They would ask them, the men, to be the representatives. They would show up at that feast, and they were to appear before the sovereign Lord. Well, let me just share with you, at this point in Israel's history, not a lot of that kind of stuff was happening. And so the psalmist is saying in his heart, because at that point in the reign of Josiah, the kingdoms had been divided. And they actually, 50 years before that, had sent out. There was a desire in the hearts of the people to see unity again. And they sent out a message to all the people, come and celebrate with us. Now, 50 years later, after they had strayed from the Lord, there's the same desire again. Come and worship and celebrate. Bless God because he has blessed us. And the psalmist is basically saying, bless God because he has blessed you, and especially at this time of festival, bless God. 
In a few weeks, we will celebrate a national holiday decreed by our government, a day of thanksgiving, an opportunity for us to reflect, to remember, and to actually express our thanks as a group of people and to do so individually and as families. It's an opportunity for us to bless God because he has blessed our lives. In the word of God, these feasts were not, uh, you know, kind of you could or couldn't do. They were not optional. God was saying to his people at least three times a year, come before me in celebration. I think it's kind of interesting as I, as I just look at our, uh, our holidays. Isn't it kind of interesting in one sense? We, we really have a number of them. We're ex- actually celebrating one today. But the ones that kind of stick out, if you ask the people, they would be Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter, right? And maybe it's just in the, the way that we're built. We have this desire to stop and reflect. Well, I want to ask you to fulfill an assignment as we approach Wednesday night, November 21st. Some of you will be out of town traveling with other families. But if you're here and you're available, I encourage you to come be a part of a celebration of Thanksgiving. And it will be an opportunity that night for you to express your thanks. And I would like for you to do this first. I'd like you to take a few moments sometime in the next day and write a list of things you're thankful for. Maybe try and write ten. You're really good. Try and write 20. And would you do this until that time? Would you take that list and begin to just practice being thankful every day and pray that back to God in Thanksgiving? Let's maybe, you know, it's it's not a must assignment, but if you feel in a sense this would be a good thing to do, I'd ask you to write a list, put it down, and then daily just go before the Lord and thank God for that. And I'm going to ask you to see how full you can stuff your heart with thanks before you get to Thanksgiving and stuff your stomach with turkey. Okay? And then I'm going to ask you one other thing. That night of that service, I was in the staff meeting. I paid attention, and what they do is they ask people to share their thanks. And I would like to ask some of you to think about what God has done, maybe has blessed you, and to share that that night. But I'm going to make this really clear and kind of make this a directive. I'm going to ask you to write it down first and keep it to at least one page. Because I'd really love for the opportunity for people to kind of stand up like popcorn and go, God, thank you so much for what you did in my family. And I ask you to write it down so it's clear to you and it can be said clearly. Now, this is kind of a prelude to the second part, and this is the part I want to get to. He says, bless God because he's blessed you. But then he moves on to the next parts of these verses, beginning really with the end of verse 5, according to the NIV, but really verse 5 through 16. And he says, bless God, because he is waiting to bless you. I believe that the psalmist started out by writing this psalm and saying, get excited. I want you to share your heart and express it to God. Do it sincerely. It's a must. There's a festival coming up. Get your heart ready. Get full thanksgiving to God so you can bless him. And as he was doing this, I think as he was maybe writing this or he's in prayer thinking about it, possibly praying about the nation and the situation, concerned about what was going on, I believe God spoke to him. If you note the end of verse 81, chapter 81, verse 5, in the NIV it reads, He established it as a statute for Joseph when he went out against Egypt, where he, we heard a language that we did not understand. There's a footnote, and it really is in the Hebrew, when I heard, 
And they wanted to tie this back into the verse before. So that's why they wrote, when we heard a language we did not understand, that when they were in Egypt, God came to him and he revealed himself in a new way. He said, I am who I am. And so that's kind of how they're going with it. I personally believe, and so do many of the commentators, that what it really reads like is it ends in this verse 5. He established it as a statute for Joseph when he went out against Egypt. And then he begins the second part with this phrase, which in the Hebrew says, I heard a message I hadn't known. And then the NIV adds, he says, because they have to do something to make this transition. So they add these words in. But it really goes like this. I heard a message I had not known. And then it goes, quote, he starts to speak as if God is speaking to the people of that day right now. And he's kind of saying, here's my heart cry for you. I removed the burden from their shoulders. Their hands were set free from the basket. It's, it's what I believe is happening that so often happens that when you're in worship or when your heart is soft, when you're in this position and you're postured in such a way that you're humbly just praying out to God, sometimes God just comes and he speaks to your spirit if you're open to it. And I think that's what's going on here. I love the way Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrases it. He says it this way. I hear this most gentle whisper from the one I never guessed would speak to me. Ever had that situation? As the psalmist prepares for this festival, God whispers in his ear this message. And he says, I want you to tell my people. I just want to bless them. My heart cries out to them. There's three things God points out in his message. First, he says in verses 6 through 7, he says, I want to point this out to you. Look at all that I have done for you. I removed the burden from your sh- their shoulders. Their hands were set free from the basket. In your distress you called, and I rescued you. I answered you out of a thundercloud. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Verse 6 is a reference basically to the freeing of the people from Egypt. Their hard labor as they would carry these bricks. Remember at a certain point they had even, you know, they weren't even given, the, they, had a, they actually had to find the, the stuff rather than being given to them. So they, the labor became extremely hard. They were, in a sense, almost like masons doing all the grunt work, okay? And they were exhausted. The message, again, says it this way when he says, In your distress you called and I rescued me. I rescued you. It says, You called to me in your pain and I got you out of a bad place. Isn't that kind of cool? It's, it's those times when I know in my own life when I've just been, maybe a time where I've been desperate, or I've been in worship, and I've just been had this on my heart, and God speaks to me in a whisper, and I didn't expect it, and He goes, and He gives me some wisdom, or He begins to move in my heart. He shapes my heart in such a way that I'm pliable to be moved so that He can actually rescue me from a place that I need to get, get out of. Verse 7 says a reference to God speaking to the people from Mount Sinai. So you see this. He takes them out of Egypt. He leads them to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, now he reveals his character through the Ten Commandments. Here's who I basically am. I express myself to you through the thundercloud, which you saw over the mountain. And then the last part of verse 7, he was a reference to the rebellion of the people at Meribah. Exodus 17, verses 1 through 8, tells a story. Here they are. They're going through the wilderness. They're at this point. God is allowed for them to be saved, takes them through the waters, journeys them through Mount Sinai. They come to a place and they're thirsty. They have had nothing to drink. And they begin to be nervous and scared. Are we going to die here in the wilderness? 
And it says in this passage of Scripture that God was actually testing them. He had provided for them in the past. Now he was looking at them as a people and he was wondering what would they do in response to this current bad place situation that they were in, that he actually led them into. And it says they rebelled, they complained, they became angry, which often we do as children, as people. You become angry with your leadership, right? Mom and dad, leaders of the church, leaders of the business, everyone gets angry. That's what's going on. And as you read the story in Exodus, it ends with this line. And he called the place Massa, meaning testing, and Meribah, meaning quarreling. Because the Israelites quarreled because they tested the Lord, saying, catch this little question, is the Lord among us or not? How can you ask that question? I think that's what God is thinking. I mean, look what I've just done for you, and I've got this cloud and this pillar, and it's guiding you, and... And now you're thirsty and you're in this situation and I've allowed you to come to this place because when God brings us into difficult places, he is often allowing for us to prove, in a sense, the muscle of our faith, to strengthen that faith, to say God was here before, he's with me still. And because I don't see God now, because I don't experience his blessing, because it's not the way that I envision it, I wonder, is God, are you even here? How many have done that? Anybody? Oh, oh, good. A couple of you. You know, I've done it. I do it all the time. And God says, look what I did for you. And God, I think, brings us at times to desperate places, testing us, proving our faith, waiting to bless us again. It's almost as if the writer is saying in that passage in Exodus, live by faith, expecting God to provide his past work should prove his presence. You know, right now, you may be in that time of testing. There's an opportunity again to bless God because of how he's blessed you and to continue to remember and to move into the sense that even though I don't see God operating, he doesn't seem to be with me. I know for a fact that God is. That's his promise. But what I find is interesting at this point in Scripture, instead of going on to what I think is the second point he wants to to show them, he does this little kind of excursus. He's going on in his heart and his mind. You ever talk to someone and they're talking about something and all of a sudden they get off on a rabbit trail? Well, God gets on his little rabbit trail here. He can't contain himself. And he bursts into a warning in chapter 81, verses 8 through 10. It's this little excursus interruption. He says, hear, all my people, and I will warn you, if you would but listen O Israel, you shall have no foreign God among you. You shall not bow down to an alien God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. And then he just goes, open wide your mouth and I'll fill it. Like little birds. Just, you know how they reach up with their mouths just straining. He says, if you would just seek me and want me and desire me in this way where your, your mouth is open saying, fill me with yourself and presence. I just want to bless you so much. If you look at these words, they're really the preamble to the Ten Commandments of chapter 20 of Exodus, verses 2 and 3. The words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, is verse 2 of Exodus 20, verse 2. It's also the same one that we have here in Psalm 81. It's the exact same words. The difference is, after that little preamble of, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, he then says, you shall have no other gods before me. 
The difference here in 81 is he starts out by saying, you shall have no foreign god among you, no alien god, because in that time in Josiah's reign, they had filled the place with all these alien kind of gods. They had been looking everywhere but God. Their mouths were wide open to everything around them that they hoped would supply what they most needed. And he was just saying, oh, if you would just listen, oh, Israel, I just wish you would start to kind of position your heart and and open your mouth so I could fill it. Instead of wherever you may be looking. And we looked at all these different things in our life. And you can, you know, it's so easy to point to the gods that we say of money and of, of, of values of power. And if we had this sense of stature in, 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 our, in, in recognition and fame. Or, you know what? It comes in so many ways. You know where we most often look for it? Those are the areas. It's, it's through the ways that we've always, we've been taught in a sense in our past to strategize to get what we want. And I don't know what it looks for you, but I want to share with you, folks, when I ask you to say, what does it look like to listen and what might God be saying to you and how he wants to bless you, one of the things you've got to pay attention to is how do I go about getting what I want? And is it the way that God would bless? What I love about this passage of Scripture, when he says, you shall have no other gods before me, the reason he says this, he says, put me first, right? It's not because God is some megalomaniac who has some excessive need for power over others. It is not because he's some sick, selfish craving within himself to be first. God's declaration that you shall have no other gods before me is not some prideful, egocentric hang-up. But here's why God says, put me first. Out of love, God says, put nothing else first, because when push comes to the shove and you are in your desperate situation and you need to be saved from whatever it is and delivered, only God can come through for you that. I stood before my daughter a week ago in a hospital bed with her spleen ruptured, nurses and everything in attending, and we had some of the best care and probably the best money you could throw at it in the sense of our culture and everything else. And you know what? I cried out from my heart. Give me more medicine. Now, I, I pray, God, you got to do something. Isn't that the way it is? When you lose a, a spouse or a loved one, when, you, when a person becomes ill beyond what we think the doctors can treat, when, when we come into financial difficulties, whatever it is, when it really comes down to it, when push comes to shove, the reason he says, I want you to put me first, is not because he's some selfish person who has his need to be first, who has this desire for power every, over everybody. It's because he is the only one who can come through for you. Right? And God wants to bless you. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. And here's the typical response of me and you and people. Look at all you did, says God. This is the second he points out in verses 11 through 12. First, you didn't listen. But my people would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. Literally, the Hebrew says when it says Israel would not submit to me, the the actual wording is Israel was not willing to me. It's always a matter, I think, of the will. Israel not willing to me. Or we might say it in this way, Israel would have nothing to do with me. Reminds me of our little six-month-old golden retriever. Love this little dog, Tessa. Um, I'll sit here sometimes in the morning, and I know it has to go out. I'll open the door, and I want to bless her with the opportunity to do it out there. And she'll just sit there and just look at me. And I'm going, doesn't this dog get it? What does listening look like to you? Um, 
out of nothing just doesn't pay attention. It hears me. He goes on, he says, you stubbornly went your own way and I let you go. Verse 12. So I, I gave them over, he says, to their stubborn hearts in, to follow their own devices, which is our own strategy. So I said a few moments ago, what is it that you've been taught to from unconscious ways? Strategies to get what you think you need that you're not even aware of where you have to start saying, God, open my heart to these things. Again, I like the way the message says it. He says it this way. So I let go of the reins and told them, run, do it your own way. Reminds me of those westerns. Remember you watch the westerns and, and you would see the guy, he's, he's trying to steer these horses that are out of control. He's on this uh, wagon, right? And he can't get them. You know, they're running and he's finally lets go of the reins. He bails from it and they go over the cliff. There are some times where God's going, I'm doing everything I can. Would you listen? And, and, and he's pulling and, he's, and he finally says, I just got to let you go. And, and you end up running smack into the wall and then you cry out to God. That's been my life. At times, I won't ask you because last time only about three people raised their hands, so I'm not, I can take a chance this time. And then finally, God says, Look at all I want to do for you. Verses 13 through 16. He basically says, I want to remove your enemies, the obstacles before you. Verses 13 through 15. If my people would but listen to me, if Israel would follow my ways, how quickly I would subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe before him and their punishment would last forever. He says, you know, basically, I wanted to put you in this land of promise and I wanted to promise you to have it forever. I want you to have these things. This is my desire. I want good in your life. I want you to experience my goodness. Every one of you. Everyone around you that you work with. He wants you to be a blessing of that goodness. God wants to pour out his blessing. And not only does he say, I'll remove these obstacles from your life, but I'll give you the best. That's amazing. This God who sees me, who at times won't, you know, I'm like Tessa and I just don't pay attention. I'm looking at him and he's telling me and I just don't pay attention. And then I just go off on my own and I hit the wall and I stubbornly as he lets go of the reins do this. And this God loves you so much and he loves me so much. He lets me still preach. He lets you still come and seek him. And more than that, he wants to bless you. And I have to share with you, by blessing, so often we in our Western culture think of it in some kind of materialistic, some kind of way that, that I think we need to realize. Often to get to that kind of blessing or the things that God wants us to get to, whether it be materialistic or deep, intimate relationships or a freedom to do what you've been called to do. I don't know what those things are for you in your heart and what you're longing for. But often to get there, you know what you need to go through? And it's still God's goodness. A wilderness. You need to go through a wilderness. The wilderness of God plowing up the stuff inside you so that you can actually receive what he wants to give you. He can't give you stuff when you're holding on to it and you're saying, bless me, God, I want this too. Sometimes he takes you through this wilderness in order to prepare your heart so you can actually receive the good things he wants to give you. And sometimes the good things he wants to give you come about when he changes desires in your hearts and those desires start to match what his desires are. And then you feel this incredible sense of oneness and blessing and the sense of, of knowing this God's presence and walking with him. But sometimes 
The very obstacles he's got to remove have to happen through wilderness. And so the goodness of God right now, if you pray to him, say, God, I want to listen. And then you listen, and you start to do what God wants you to do. And you go, but pastor, you said if I did this, I'd be blessed. And it's all gone south. And I go, yes. Keep looking to God. Because as I said last week, he's more concerned that your character be conformed to be like Jesus Christ. Because when we get to heaven someday, he's not going to ask you all the things that you have. He'll ask you to put it at his feet. But he's going to ask you, have you become like me? Have you moved in such a way that as you walk with Jesus, you began to live the life that Jesus lived? In fact, Jesus begins to live that life in you and create you to be more than you were ever meant to be. So that you begin to walk like Jesus, that you look to the Father, you begin to listen to the Spirit of God. And as you walk with that and in obedience to that, the Spirit of God begins to do things within you. And it's not always great and wonderful at the time, but it's always leading you to a place of promise. And I believe this promise for many people is still even in this life. But there is also the greatest promise of all, and that is the life to come. And some graduate into that, which one of our members did, I think, yesterday as well. But here's what I want you to think about. If God came to bless you today, would you listen? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't be quick to say yes. Would you listen? And here's the real question. What does listening look like to you? The heart cry of God is he wants to bless you. But there is a condition that Jesus, that, that God says in this psalm that Jesus spoke often about. And it's that we must listen. You know, Jesus would say that often. He said, those of you who have what? Because... We are so operating in our culture, in our life, visually, that we always think we've got to see, see, see. But you know what? The walk with God often is about a, a hearing of the Spirit. It's about ears that hear God and ears that respond. And so here's three things. Practically, I want to tell you that I think listening looks like, and you need to be in each one of these to be able to experience the blessing of God. And the very first one is this. And it's really not hard. You, you, you need to do what you know is right. I say it's not hard because knowing what is right often can be kind of somewhat clear to us. The living it out can be difficult. But if you know right now that you're doing something that's displeasing to God, you know in your spirit and, and it's against what you know in your heart, then don't do it. Don't be Tessa. Hearing God say, but don't, don't do that. Don't be manipulating that person. Don't, don't cheat on your taxes. Don't fudge here. Don't stand up to God and say, I don't care what you say, God. I'm going to do it the way I want to. You won't receive God's blood. Do what you know is right. Second thing is simple as well. But it becomes difficult in practice. Believe what you know is true. The people of Israel had seen God save them from the Egyptians. This incredible miracle. He had, they had seen him and were afraid to death to hear God speak to them. So they said, Moses, would you do that? Now God at this time, through his spirit, speaks to us individually. But the, the, the next part, which was amazing, is they walked through the desert. They complained and they got, you know, and every time God was stretching their faith, they complained until what has to happen in our lives is we begin to move into a place where we begin to trust what we know is true. God will provide. God really does love me. God is with me. 
I'm going to hold to that. And I have to tell you, this is what you need at times. That's when we talk about, I, I, you know, we talk about small groups and things like that. I, I'm not as concerned about what kind of group you're in. I'm concerned that you're in accountable relationships where someone knows you well enough to be able to speak the truth. They need to be a witness to you so they can stand there. And they need to be good witnesses that says, you know what? Those are lies not from God. They're from the pit of hell. You need to remember this. You need to walk in this and I will pray for you and I will stand with you. You need people like that in your life. You need to believe what you know is true. And then you need to posture yourself to hear or be in this position to hear. You need to posture yourself to hear. The, the reason so often um, you'll see there's different expressions of prayer. They pray in the Old Testament with their hands up like this. They pray flat on their face in submission. Sometimes they pray kneeling. Part of the kneeling is I'm a servant. I'm willing. I want to hear your command. What do you want me to do? And that's just a posture of the heart. You can, you can have that posture as you're walking in, along in your job down the hallway to whatever you're called to do. It's a posture of your, your, your soul that says, God, I want to listen. But if something's important about postures. Sometimes you have to be in a posture for a while to be able to hear. We kind of have this idea in America that if you, we can get everything on the fly. We get, you know, fast food this and, and you can um, you get this when you want it, you know, and, and you just kind of can go through in a few minutes. The one thing you cannot do real well, you just cannot do real well is to get yourself in a position to posture your heart in such a way that it's soft and gentle, that it's quiet enough so that you can hear the still, small voice of God. I've come to a realization the times that God shouts and yells are usually the times when I'm ready to go off the cliff. I don't want to be living with a God that's always yelling. Anybody grew up with parents who are always yelling? I want to live with a God who is in a conversational relationship with me and with you and with this church that can hear from God because there's a posture in our heart in such a way that our hearts are positioned to be able to hear the saw, that very soft whisper of God that says, go this way. Or feels a gentle push on our back that says, no, this way. Because God wants to bless. He wants to bless. I'm going to ask you to stand, Okay. And we're going to pray. And I believe we're going to sing in just a moment as well. But I want you to stand. And I don't care what posture in your heart you want. If you want to stay. In fact, the one thing I should just say is you're standing. Even when we do worship, if you want to sit or if you want to kneel if you can, do what's in your heart to do. Don't worry about what others are around you doing. Don't be a distraction, but do what is heart in your heart before God as a community. And so I just want to say, God, I pray for your people here. There are some here today who who it's so clear that you have put your finger on their chest and said, you know what? You're displeasing me in this area and it's got to stop. And if you're in that place, I can tell you often you need to confess that with someone who's a trusting person who can stand with you and pray with you. But it begins by confessing it to God. Some of you just need to believe what's true about God. He's with you. And all of us need to learn how to continue to remain in a posture. Maybe to do the practices that help us get into that posture by taking time. Not trying to fly through the day or rush through the day, but maybe taking 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever God lays in your heart, that just quiets your heart and says, God, I want to hear from you. I want the still, small voice. I don't want the yell, the scream. 
but I want to be guided conversation with you. Father, wherever you're working right now, Holy Spirit, I say come and move. Begin to form and to shape us individually and corporately and in this community, God, to do a work that only you can do, that nothing can stop because you, God, are all-powerful, almighty God who reigns and is sovereign over all this. And we say to your here, old people here at YZ, listen, we are listening. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.